You are now listening to My Faithway Podcast. You can now find us on every major platform. And don't forget to visit our Facebook page with live services every Sunday at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you want to become a partner or simply make a one-time donation, please text the word FAITHWAY to 77977. Click send and you will receive a link for further instruction. Feel free to comment on our Facebook Live stream services or visit our page at myfaithway.org. Now let's experience life in a new way, the Faithway. What's the volume? Lord Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. All right, let's open our Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 2. Let's start there. Luke, chapter 2. I didn't put any notes on the screen this morning, so y'all just track with me. You can turn me down just a bit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Oh, what? Oh, the kids, you see? Bye, kids. Everybody's like, kids, kids, signs. That's why you don't do announcements, that's what happens. No, just we need, a, we need a backup. <laughs> backup. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. All right. All the kids are dismissed. Glory to Jesus. All classes. All ages. All right. Luke chapter 2. And we're going to talk about this morning. And I, and I want to do it a little different because, again, it is a challenge. You know, we are, we just finished last weekend celebrating 28 years of doing this. And, you know, after 28 years of preaching Christmas messages... What you don't want to do, as at least I don't want to do it as a minister, is go to some outline, pop an outline up and say, okay, I'll no, I don't think that's proper. I don't think you deserve that. I don't think, I think God's word is fresh and rich every morning. And the Lord showed me some things, I believe, regarding this, because I was really pursuing this. And I want to talk about, you know, we are going to talk about the Christmas message, but I want to talk about something a little bit, a little bit different. And... I want to give you the title at the front end. It's just Christmas, a time to seek God's face. And we're going to talk about that. You know, we're going to talk about what is, what is God's face. What, is, what does the Bible mean by that? You know, when we, are we actually going to see a face or does it mean his presence? Does it mean his, his influence, so forth and so on? So let's go to Luke chapter 2. And you guys know the Christmas story. But I want to pick it up um, when the angels begin to declare and this is important because angels didn't just show up to celebrate his birth. They're like, well, wow, he's born. That's not what they came. They came to speak prophetically, to make proclamations about the king that had been born, and really to set his whole ministry in motion at that point. That was, the, that was really, you know his, his, his real, you know, his earth ministry didn't really start till he was 30 years old. But his ministry is spoken of at his birth. And that's what we had to focus on this morning. So let's just pick it up where the angels come in. And he's been born. And the angels in verse 9, Luke chapter 2, verse 9 says, And the angel came upon them. And pay attention to the next, the next verse. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. Now remember that word glory because we'll, we'll, we're going to come back to that in a little bit. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying. Now this saying is the proclamation. This is the, this is the prophetic 
words spoken over the birth of the king. And it goes on to say, glory to God in the highest. And then he says this, and on earth, peace, goodwill, you could, you could read it even this way, towards mankind. So it's not just speaking, you know, of a gender. He's not just speaking of certain men. He's speaking generally. So let's go back to this proclamation because everything we need to look at this morning is going to be in these, in these things. It says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill to men. Now, cross-reference this with me with John 3.16. You guys know this very well. I'm going to read it out through 18. Now you can, you can, you know, if you want to keep your place in Luke, we'll, we're going to come back to that. But I want to show you this. Let me just make a quick note here. Before I lose that one. Okay. So in John 3.16 through 18, it says, For this is how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only unique son as a gift. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish, but experience everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world, but to be its savior and rescue it. So now there is no longer any condemnation for those who believe in him, but the unbeliever already lives under condemnation because they do not believe in the name of God's beloved son. Now, in those two statements, you know, the proclamation over the birth of Christ talks about joy. So smile this morning, all right? Joy. You know, there's a lot of sour Christians, but he said joy. He talks about glory, which is really, that's where we're going this morning, because glory, and that's a subject, isn't it? But the glory, how can I put it, at, a, at the simplest form, is just his presence. In other words, you can't separate God from, from his glory. Now, one of the interesting things, and this is where, this is where I want to take it, I'm going to kind of you know, re, you know, change a little bit directions because I think one of the things that the church has to really, um, let me bring up some other, I got a lot of these notes everywhere. Okay, where is it? One of the, one of the things that the church has to, to see is that when we talk about the glory, because that's the thing, you know, you know God revealing himself. Now I'm just going to go on, on a couple of things. So let, let's back up. When we talk about searching the glory. The glory becomes like this unattainable thing that, it, you know, in the Old Testament, if you were exposed to it, you would die, right? That's basically it, the glory, the presence. You know, there was no, how can I put it, the newborn experience hadn't happened. So in the Old Testament, when you were exposed to the full presence of God, your flesh could not handle it. So your flesh would stop functioning. And, and you know, I talked a little bit about that last week, you know, in, in the we talk about the glory, a, a good example is in the temple worship in the Old Testament. You have the outer court, the inner court, and you have Holy of Holies. Well, the Holy of Holies was where the high priest would bring the blood and, you know, the final sacrifice after the people brought, the, you know, the, sacri- the animals. And the Holy of Holies, only one person could enter, and it was the high priest. Now, he had to be so clean. And this is where I'm going with this because there's a transition. We have to understand about this transition where the glory was hidden, now the glory is revealed. And I'm going to show you. I mean, this is really interesting. So, one of the things that happened in the inner court, I mean, what happens in the, in the inner court, in the Holy of Holies, 
was that the high priest had to have two, you know, one characteristic. He had to be holy. And, of course, they had the ceremonial washing and, of course, this, you know, sacrifices even for his, over his own holiness. And he had to walk in this room completely. I mean, if you had one bad thought in that, that room, you're dead. Imagine that. You know, something your wife said, and all of a sudden you remembered it, boom, you're dead, because you weren't supposed to think about that like that. Because now he's in the presence of God, and he has a bell tied to his ankle and a rope. That's super interesting to me. And that bell told the people outside, because they can hear him, like, ding, ding, kind of like a goat, right? You can kind of hear him walking around. The curtain that protected, that's the one that was ripped open when Jesus died, remember the cross? Three feet wide. Now, how do you, you know, the only way I can come up with a conclusion is they just made curtains and kept stitching them together. Imagine how much that thing weighed. And it had to be three feet wide so the glory wouldn't escape. So now you got the high priest in there walking around. You can hear the bell. Also, you don't hear the bell and you hear a thunk. You got a rope. <laughs> the rope is to pull him out dead because nobody would ever go in this place. So the glory becomes this. The presence of God. We look at the life of Moses. Here's where it really gets interesting. If you, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to trust me with this for sake of time. In the book of Exodus, there is, I believe, well, let me, let me, no, don't believe, let me bring it up because then you guys go, ah, he didn't get it right. <laughs> I believe it's in the verse, chapter 13. There's a really interesting inter- exchange because Moses, his greatest desire and I wonder if that what what would happen to the church if that was our greatest desire. The greatest desire of Moses was to see God's face. But what's interesting in Exodus, and let me see if I can find it. Well, let me let me back up here a little bit. You find one scripture, I believe it's in thirteen. He says that Moses spoke to God. As a friend. And it says he spoke to him face to face. Well, that's really interesting because just a few verses down, Moses says, Lord, I want to see you. And he says, You can't see me. Well, what's going up up here? I thought you just said you guys hang out. You guys talked face to face. But down here it says, You can't see me because you will surely die. And that happens after that exchange. So, so that to me finds interesting. So what does that really mean? Well, let's back up a little bit. So what that refers to is that Moses and God had a very close relationship where they spoke. And they inter- interacted. And, and I'm, th- I'm thinking, you know, the church today has kind of lost that. You know, when you, when you tell people, I mean, come on, if you're just like in your regular workplace, you know, with, with just regular, you know, some believers, some not, and all of a sudden you just say, hey, God told me. They're like, yeah. People are like, okay, you're weird. It's even weird you get around Christians. And somebody says, God, God told me, there are, Christ, uh, there are people within the Christian circle that would even think that's weird. They're like, oh, okay, you're one of those charismatics. Now you hear, well, why should this be strange? Because I think, you know, one of the, one of the messages, the strong, one of the strongest messages of, of, of Christmas that you can ever take, and this should be part of your healing this season. You know, I believe Christmas season should be a season of healing. I believe, you know, people should be thinking about broken relationships that need to be fixed. Y'all lost y'all on that one, right? Maybe you need to 
ask somebody for forgiveness. You see, this is a season of reconciliation. And one of the, the, the things that God came to do, he said, I want my people to come back to my face. Because, you know, Christians, and think about how we pray. Think about how we talk to God. You know, you know this is just the conversations I've had with myself and with the Lord this week. Is It seems like most of our prayers, I'm speaking for myself, are about demands. And not, maybe not demands in a negative way, but it's, Lord, heal my body, you know, take care of my kids, protect me. You know, and that's fine. You know, you have not because you ask not. We got to pray and we got to make our requests known to God. That's okay. The problem is you can fall into a cycle that your whole prayer life, you get so used to saying, okay, we got to pray about it. And think about that. You know, whenever there's a crisis, what is the first thing you do? Let's pray about it. When maybe if you had prayed about it at the front end, you wouldn't have a crisis. Say amen. So prayer becomes like, okay, we're in a mess. It's kind of like going to the shop, right? Like, you know, you don't take your car to the mechanic unless something's broken. Hello? I mean, unless some of you are like, oh, I take it anyway. Well, you must have tons of money. But I don't think prayer was just meant to be our ticket to the mechanic shop. Jesus came. One of the things that it says in the book of Matthew, going back to to his birth, it says, and, and he's really testifying the prophecy of Isaiah and they use the word Emmanuel. And that is a beautiful word. It's a beautiful name. But the word Emmanuel is a very simple, very simple, very simple definition. And you can study it from what was said in the original context in Isaiah, from the, from the Hebrew, from the Aramaic, and from the other sources. You can go to the New Testament and study it out. And it still seems, it means the same thing. It just simply means God with us. He's not, it doesn't mean God higher than us. It doesn't mean God on the side. It doesn't mean God behind. It means God present. Are you with me? Say that, God present. You see, that is one of the greatest, I mean, if you don't take anything else out of this service this morning, you got to go with that. Anywhere you are, anywhere you navigate in life, even at the loneliest point of your life, when you feel like nobody else cares, everybody's run out on you, your whole world is crumbling, God with me. So here's what I'm trying to get across. So if, so if the, the proclamation from Isaiah about the birth of Christ, and there's a lot of them, and there's, there's over 40, imagine there's, there's over 40, when, when people want to debate the Bible with you, just say, well, there's over 40 prophecies. I mean, that's, that's pretty good. In the Old Testament that make reference to the birth of Christ down to the city where he was born. Isn't that amazing? And these were done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before he ever showed up. So, when God declares in the Old Testament, Emmanuel, to the Old Testament ear, there's a conflict. Because in the Old Testament, back to that temple thing, you cannot be in the presence of God. You are a corrupt, broken being that if you come to the presence of God, you will explode and disappear. That's basically what, you know... What it says, so the, the context of Emmanuel in the Old Testament is kind of vague for them because they're saying, God with us? Wait a minute. There's never been a God with us. God with us was only reserved for the most holy, holy, holy person. And even in that case, that person might still croak. So what is this idea of God with us? Well, in the New Testament, Jesus now comes in. I'm, I'm about to get to where I need to be, but I'm just building into it. Jesus is born as a baby and now we have a very interesting situation because 
Now we have all God, all man. Jesus is not half and half, right? He's not half God, half man. You have to see that he's full man, full God, all right? This is where, this is where my little, um, <laughs> what do they call it, study in the Bible, when you try to figure things out, really gets interesting in my head. Apologetics, that's what I was trying to Apologetic head goes this way. God in the Old Testament cannot be seen by human flesh. Do you agree with that statement? Well, if you don't agree with it, it doesn't matter because it's in the Bible, okay? It's just saying, trying to find you guys. You guys are asleep. Y'all stay out too late last night? Or what's going on? I mean, half the church stayed out too late. That's all right. They're slowly coming in. I'm just kidding. Glory to God. Don't look. God with us, Old Testament, is impossible. I mean, in, in the context of Emmanuel, it's impossible. Because that person, once he faces God, will either have to be hyper-holy or die. So, but he does proclaim it in the Old Testament. Now, here's where it really gets interesting. What do you think about this one, H? So if Jesus, the baby, little baby, actually my grandson, Caleb, was at the house. He's so amazing. I just love to carry him. He loves me to pieces. He's tiny. He's a baby. So Jesus was, was all man and all God. You agree with that statement? You're like, eh. Okay. So how come everyone in God in Jesus is after his birth, everyone in Jesus' life after his birth apparently can see him with no consequences? And it's still the Old Testament. Think about that. I mean, those are the kind of things that make my head go tilt. Any insight on that one, sir? You got a lot of insight on that one? Okay. He could preach the next sermon on the page. He'll, he'll straighten me all out. I know he will. He'll, he'll, you got it all wrong, Pastor. You'll get it all. <laughs> you got ideas? Well, I mean, it's, I, got, I got the idea, too. I got the idea, too. And I'll tell you what my idea is. Again, this is, this is my... You, you write, don't, don't take notes, because this is Pastor Fox's opinion. That I've been doing this... I think I've studied the Word long enough to have a pretty good solid. My opinion is God protected the glory with the human flesh. God, he's still full of glory. I don't care if he's a baby. I don't care if he's 30 years old. The only, diff- the only thing that happens at the baptism of John is, you know, he's already the son of God. It's his commissioning through the Holy Spirit that sets him into ministry. He could have not been Jesus without the Spirit of God, just like you can't be saved without the Spirit of God. You know, I believe in the gospel. I believe in the, in the charismatic aspect. But at the same time, my Baptist roots tell me you cannot be saved without the Spirit of God. And being filled with the Spirit of God is an experience if you want it, and I believe it's biblical. I'm not, I'm not discrediting that. But I'm just saying Jesus had his Spirit. Now, just bear with me because this is so important because at the end of the service, you've got to be able to walk out of this building saying, I have a right to be in his presence. It wasn't because of what I did. It's because of everything that he decided to do Guess what? for me. So we're dealing with this little dilemma because in the, the Old Testament does not begin until the resurrection of Christ. I mean, it doesn't end until the resurrection of Christ. The New Testament begins with the resurrection of Christ. That's the New Testament. But nonetheless, you have Jesus walking on earth, interacting with hundreds and hundreds of people, with thousands of people, with his disciples, and not one of them ever had to die. So the glory of God was still in the man Jesus. Are you with me? 
And that never left him. So my, again, this is my opinion. So don't leave the church because you think I'm wrong. I'm just saying my opinion is the glory was hidden. Not hidden, but covered inside. Because until the birth of Christ, until you can say, Jesus, come into my life. Until you can do that on your own will and with your own effort, you cannot be in the presence of the glory. Before you say, Jesus, come into my life, you want another way of looking at it? You're still in the Old Testament. Because what what gives us access to his presence without falling dead is the fact that now glory, if I can put it this way, lives within us. This is going to help your prayer life. This is going to help so many things. Because we keep walking, you know, and, and especially, I'm trying to get to a point, especially when we deal with condemnation and guilt and all these things, every time we, you know, because, don't raise your hands, but if I said, who, which of you feels like or knows that you messed up this week? Don't raise your hand. And I just take it like everybody raised their hand, all right, including mine. Well, that mess up, whatever that was, maybe, you, you know, let's just call it sin. Whatever it was. Old Testament. New Testament. Definition of sin, still the same. You miss the mark. You're shooting at a target. You're going for the center. You keep hitting sideways. That's all it is. That's all that sin... Every definition of the Bible, sin, is that. God has a perfect way of living, and we keep hitting side and side. But that does not completely disqualify us. Just like it doesn't disqualify you, you know, at whatever... Well, let's just take it down into the natural realm. You know... In shooting sports, and I, I love that, you know, I've hunted all my life and all these things. You know, when you buy a rifle and you put a scope on it, and I do all that myself, I don't take it to the shop or anything, and, you know, it takes time, and you set it, you know all that, Freddie, you know, you set it, you take it out back or to the range or whatever, you're going to be hitting off. Then what happens? You start clicking. Click, click, click. And now you, where you were hitting the paper over here, now, you're, yeah, you know, maybe you're within the circle, but you're still off. What do you keep doing? You keep adjusting. So sin is a perfect, you know, that is, that is the best definition. Imagine a target that God says, hey, this is the way to walk. This is the way you need to, to live your life. You're like, okay, Lord, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. And then something comes up and, ah, oh, I missed it. That, you're disqualified? You're going to hell now? You have no, no. God says, that's what the glory does. Now you ready? Because in the Old Testament, they didn't have that influence. They didn't have the presence. So when I think about what is the biggest thing that Christmas could even mean to me is that now... I am no longer separated from the glory. Come on, church. I am no longer separated from his goodness. Because another way of defining the glory is God's goodness. What makes God God, what makes God good, is his glory. Now, in the Old Testament, yes, it was called the Shekinah cloud, and it manifested. And, you know, I believe God can still manifest today. It will manifest as a cloud. It will manifest. But that's not what we're searching for. We're searching for the inner glory. Because just like the man Jesus, pay attention, this is really good. The man Jesus interacted with thousands of people and not one of them died because the glory of him was hidden through, I'm I'm using his flesh, again, I'm going out on on a limb on it, but I'm using his flesh almost as a symbolism or a type of the curtain. The curtain, the flesh of Jesus protected the glory, but the glory was there. Where, where, I'm, where am I going with this point? Well, the glory of God never left Jesus. Amen? There's only one point. One point in his 
ministry where the glory departs, and that's upon his death. Amen? Father, why have you forsaken me? Because glory cannot go to hell. Amen? You know, and I'm not going to get into some big doctrinal debate with you, but I believe Jesus experienced hell. I mean, the Bible says he preached to those captives. But then, on the third day, God says, enough, pay attention, glory is restored, and he busts out of the grave. Now, we're going from his birth to his death, right? But here's my point. When you come and say, Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior, he's okay. Now you are born again, you're saved, you call yourself a Christian, but do you have faith in the glory? Do you have faith in everything good about God? Because there's so many things in our life, church, there's so many things that we navigate through. Trust me, even the last few years in my life have been a season of navigating through questions and all these different things, you know. And what I see is that the glory, if you, if you, if you tap into that, that seen, it's within you because it's within him, you'll find the answers. You'll find, for the, for the hardest questions, for the, for the places where, where life, you know, and the devil is quick to tell you, where's God in this? Or you have sweet little Christians come around you and say, well, maybe uh, God's trying to teach you something through this crisis. That's, you know, that's nonsense. God doesn't use pain to teach people. Amen? Wait for our local train to go by. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Let, let, me, let me back up here a little bit. Go with me. Let me, let me show you this. Colossians 3. Go with me to Colossians 3. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to take you through a little path this morning. Colossians 3, and I'll just read out a um, King James. I have the Amplified here. What I'm trying to, you know, in my, even in my own life, is we always talk about a personal relationship with Christ. That is a huge theme within the evangelical church or non-denom or whatever you want to call us. But I think we use it how can I put it? I want, to, I want to speak as a pastor. You know, I use it a lot. I say, what you need is to develop a relationship with Jesus. Okay. But sometimes we, 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 we fail to tell people how to do it. Because it's easy to create a relationship with somebody I can see. I can see Joe. I can say, hey, Joe, we can talk. We can have an interaction. But you don't see Jesus. You don't see God. So I think the believer needs a path of understanding of how, how, how do you tap into this glory? Because one of the, the biggest things, let me get to the scripture, Colossians, Colossians 3 will help me explain it a little bit, is that, that we keep burdening ourselves with this idea. We're not good enough. I'm not there yet. Uh, you know, all these excuses, and by doing so, you're really limiting, because, you know, when you, if, you, if you were to do a sermon series just on the glory, it'd probably be, you know, a few services to really understand what it is. But I think the church still walks in a lot of... When I say the church, I'm talking the global church, Christians as a whole. That we walk in a lot of condemnation. You know, we're always walking like, oh, oh. And anything in our life that doesn't go quite right or anything that just kind of missteps or something just doesn't happen the way you expected it, then we immediately, you know, we, we, we bring the self-judgment on us. You know, we're like, okay, yeah, they did this. And, you know, there might be truth to that. But guess what? Every single one of us is in a different place in life. Can you say Amen. And let me tell you this, do you think God in all his wisdom, all his glory, 
all his knowledge, didn't realize that we weren't perfect. Because <laughs> if we were perfect, guess what? You don't need a Savior. And, and, you know, I've been around church in some form or fashion my whole life. I, of course, I took my, you guys, my 14-year world tour, as I call it. But I did come back to God. And I've seen both sides. And like most of you, you know, we've seen both sides. We see the Christian side. We see the world side. But even within the Christian side, you see all kinds of funky little dynamics that Christians have. And most of those dynamics have nothing to do with God's Word. Nothing. And, the more, and, and you know, next year we're going to get into starting January. But the more you really study the letters in red, you realize how good Jesus was. He was a good man. I mean, if you were to remove all religion away and you just say okay we're gonna we're gonna look at jesus from a complete atheist perspective we're just gonna compare him and, and don't misunderstand what i'm saying you know he's divine he's my savior i'm just saying if you were to remove it and say let's study jesus like we would study buddha or let's study jesus we would study other great philosophers or, or you know spiritual seekers whatever you want to call them you're going to find something about the character of jesus he was a good guy there was goodness Every time you see it, there was goodness. The only time you see him irritated, and that, you know, and, and it's his human side, but it is, it is being fueled by his spiritual side, is against religion. That's the only time you see him upset. You see him go into the temple, kick the, you know, the, the money changers, tables down. I mean, and this was premeditated. I mean, if they, if they had arrested him, they would, the judge would premeditate it. He, because it says he built, he put together a whip. He sat there and knit a whip. So he was ready. He was like, back nowadays, it'd be like, I'm loading. <laughs> I'm loading some more, you know. He's sitting there braiding a whip in preparation to clean the church out. So he had this righteous anger. But other than that, other than, then you look at who did, who did Jesus call out? Who did he call snakes? Who did he call whitewashed tombs? Amen. I remember years and years ago, this is. Just a little note, that, um, not that it matters now, but it was, it was funny when it happened. So right after, either when Donald Trump was trying to be president or right after he became president, I don't remember exactly back then, he said something about criminal elements, MS-13, you know, you guys know all this stuff. And he said something to the extent that they're animals. And there was a preacher's wife, really well-known preacher from California. And I respect the guy, by the way. I have no issues. Absolutely nothing. She came out and said, this is not correct. How can somebody, you know, compare God's creation? I'm thinking, MS-13, they're pretty bad dudes. God's creation with animals. You know? That we have the image and likeness. And she made this big thing of how... You know, Mr. Trump had missed it because it, we're all creating God's image. I'm thinking, wait, wait, wait a minute. Uh, Jesus did call people vipers, okay? He's the first one they call people snakes. Before Donald Trump thought it up, he called people snakes. So, you know, I, I thought it was kind of silly. You know, she was trying to make a big deal out of nothing. But I'm thinking, Jesus did call people animals. So if you want to go all the way back, he was the original one. But why would, you know, here's God speaking against in a very negative way to something. And again, Jesus died for every one of those people he called snakes. He put his heart, he, he, you know, the, the ones that were driving the nails, he's dying for them. Are you with me? So his love 
never ever was against those people. His love was against what that spirit had done to people. Now do you see it? See, everything about Jesus was good. You, you know, other than those two instances, again, if you, just, if you just stay to the Gospels, you never find him doing nothing. You know, Paul got mad at Peter and got mad at Mark, and they had little divisions in the book of Acts. There's divisions, and the Corinthian church is all messed up. And So you have regular life starting in the book of Acts. In other words, dysfunctionality. Say amen. I'm going somewhere with this, guys. And it's going to set you free because Jesus came knowing we were broken, knowing we were dysfunctional, knowing we were messed up, knowing we needed help. And he came with his glory. He came with his glory to help you. That's what, you know, when you really think about Christmas, Christmas to me is about, and then, you, you know, even if you think about first century church, Jesus was born in a horrible time. Horrible time. I mean, death was all around, you know, plagues, epidemics, no doctors, no hospices, no orphanages, nothing. If you had money, you could kind of make it all right. The Jews stuck to themselves and the rest of the world, I'm not cussing, pretty much is going to hell. And Jesus is born in that environment of violence and darkness, and he is called the light of the world. What is that? What is What does that light refer to? The glory. I'm going to keep coming back to that because I want you to leave this building thinking about the glory. Thinking about every time that you are in a dark place, every time that you're in a messed up place, every time you're in a confused place. You don't have to look very far, church. It's right here. It's right here. But it's up to you to sit there and say, Lord, help me, Jesus. I need your glory now. And I'm telling you, when you begin to experience this, you're going to find out that God has never held anything from you. But our religion and our perspective on the things of God and our misunderstanding of things, we keep throwing him out there. We keep throwing him out there. That's why I read John 3. Because, you know, the declaration that the angels brought was joy, peace on earth, goodwill towards mankind. And that goodwill is God saying the war is over. Not the war. He didn't start the war. Man started the war. But God is saying the war is over. That's what that, that's what that idea means. So with that in mind, here you are. Okay, I get it, Pastor. Jesus was born as a baby, but apparently the glory is in the baby because it, it's the God part. You can't separate God from the glory, but it's not affecting people. They're not, they're not dying and everything. So the glory was there. It was present. Now, we can have a lot of theological debates about why it wasn't, but I, I think that's irrelevant to the message because at the end of this, you got to know what this thing was about. Now, after all that, <laughs> let me go back to this. Colossians, glory to Jesus. Chapter 1, verse, I mean, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If you then be risen with Christ, now here, here's what really... That risen, let me, let me um, well, Amplified reads it this way. If then you have been raised with Christ to a new life, thus sharing his resurrection from the dead. That, that's, that's the point I made earlier, and I don't want to spend too much time on this point. When Jesus comes out of the dead, he makes his life and his spirit accessible to you. Okay? Okay, let's keep reading now. 
So that means risen with Christ, that's what it means. When you accepted his life, that's what that means. It doesn't mean, okay, you have to die, and now you go to heaven. That's not what it means. It means the acceptance of Christ. It says, you seek those things which are above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God. And I love, that. I love verse 2 because this is really the heart of pursuing the glory. Set your affection, Amplified says, set your minds and keep them set on what is above, the higher things, not on the things that are on the earth. Are you with me this morning? You know, what is it, our reaction to every life crisis? What is our reaction to every um, question that, that life throws at us? Is it, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Here we go again. I just never can see to get further in life. I'm always here. And it looks like, you know, I take three steps forward, 14 back. Anybody feel that way? But he's telling you, right here's the answer. Set. Set. Everybody knows what that is, right? Set the table. Set the volumes, Gilly. Set whatever. Set the, you know, put it somewhere. And not just put it somewhere. Put it where it's supposed to be. Set. Okay, question. Where's your affection? Well, I love my family. I love my family too. My family's my first ministry. Amen? Nothing wrong with that. Set your affection on the things above. Well, obviously, you know, is, is he talking about... Pastor, that's, that's kind of confusing because I live on earth. And he, he goes on to say not on the things on earth. And that's really hard because we live on earth... And he's telling us to set our affection on things above. What is he referring to? Does above mean a place called heaven that we've never been to? Does above mean the ceiling? Does above mean the sky? What is he referring to? Because none of us have been to heaven. I mean, maybe you have. If you have, you can come up here and tell me what you saw because I want to hear it. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say none of us have been to heaven. So it's going to be kind of confusing to say, okay, Lord, uh, what things are above? Well, he doesn't mean that. What he's meaning to is set your thing, set your mind on things that are spiritual. In other words, they are higher, not higher lost in heaven that we can't find them, higher than the natural. Okay, let me help you with this one. If you use the word supernatural, you know, if you use it on, you know, in a TV show, people are going to think ghosts and goblins, right, or something. Oh, that's supernatural. The, the word doesn't it's not really that complicated it's a very simple word super means superior that's all it means that's why we had superman remember when he was when he was cool he was superior man super man well supernatural means the same thing it's just simply superior to the natural plane now i don't know about you i've been you know we celebrated 28 years in ministry, and I'll be celebrating 30 years. Well, I did celebrate 30 years of born again, September of this year. Glory to God. And I've seen a lot of supernatural stuff. Things that didn't make sense, things that weren't supposed to happen. We've seen it here in church. We've seen it from, you know, what we, our work in Cuba, our work in Ukraine. Things that were like, what in the world's got, you know, a little church in Heavenville. God's calling us to all these different nations. Those things to me are super natural. You go to a communist nation and somehow you buy 40 acres of land. That's not supposed to happen. I had, I had a Christians 
I had a, 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 actually a friend of mine that's done work in Cuba. He came to me and he debated with me, H, about that. He said, you guys can't buy land in Cuba. I'm like, well, we did. It's a communist. Yeah, I know. I've been there. I've been, you know, I've been over there over 10 years working in Cuba. I know the communist nation. I know it very well. But you know what that is? That's called super natural. So today there's a farm and it's producing food for the Cuban people. Glory to God. But those things aren't supposed to happen. Well, even when I came with that idea, let me just play with this idea because when you, when you, when you understand that the glory of God within you, this is really where I'm going with this point, the glory of God within you will give you, will tap into the supernatural. You're not going to want to let go of this because you don't have to live an ordinary life anymore. You see, you get to pray for people. And again, we don't, know, we don't have all the answers. So trust me, I've been, I've been doing this a long time. I, don't, I, I can't tell you why does God yes or doesn't. I just know one thing. The Bible says lay hands on the sick. That's all I know how to do. Now, why or why they didn't receive their healing, that's not my problem. We lay hands on the sick, and I believe that when I lay hands on you, I, uh, first of all, the first thing I believe, and I know for a fact, I'm not the healer. Amen. I believe that the glory of God within me is released into your life. Okay, I got it. And I, I'm going to come back to my point here. I'm not, I'm, I didn't, I know, I'm on a little, not a little, I'll say a little rabbit trail. This is more like a rabbit avenue. This is like a rabbit I-35, okay? But as you're going, you begin to tap into these things above, things above. You, you come into situations in your life where you say, you know, this doesn't look good. It can be the banker's report or the doctor's report or the kid's report. But you have a choice to say, do I navigate, as a, I'm talking as a Christian, as a Christian, do I, do I just go into this with all my natural understanding, which we do, with my natural wisdom, with my education, with whatever I think, and, and again, nothing wrong with that, but there's going to be a point that if your natural stuff does not solve it or does not give you an answer, then you're going to have to tap, tap into something else. It's called the super. Go with me? Because honestly, you know, the supernatural part of our life, we, you know, and, and we could be here a long time talking about people healed, people delivered, you know, ears open, eyes open, demons coming out of people. I mean, you name it, over 28 years of ministry, we've seen a lot of things. So the choice to live in a natural plane or to live in a supernatural plane really becomes... Very simple, it becomes just dependent on your, if I can put it this way, I don't want to use the word revelation because it sounds too deep. Let me use the word understanding. Your understanding of the glory. The glory is within you. Jesus did not separate himself from the glory. Are you still here? All right, let me, let me finish reading here. So he goes on to say, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And then he goes on to say this, which is really interesting. He says, for you are dead... And your life is hid with Christ in God. You ready? You're dead? No, we're not. Some of you say amen. Just checking. Checking. For you are dead. Let me see what the Amplified says. For as far as this world is concerned, (laughs) that, that clears it up a lot. You have died, and your new Real life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, that's the Amplified. Okay, look at verse 4 now. 
This is where it's really going to bring it home. When Christ, if you're reading King James, you can actually not read those next two words. If you're reading King James Bible and, you, and, you're by, and those words are italicized, that means they were added by discretion of the translators, which it's not bad. That means the translator, as he was translating, added a couple words. But it's sometimes good to remove them. Sometimes it's a good one. That's why they're italicized in your Bible. It gives you the option to read it with or without. Sometimes it's good to remove, because when I take these out, it just changes the whole thing. It says, when Christ, our life. Point made. When Christ, our life. You know, you don't have to, I mean, it doesn't really take, but it does make it more powerful. Because you say, when Christ, who is our life? Yeah, that who is almost says, like, in case he wants to. No. Christ. Our life, okay? Taking a lot of time on this church. Shall appear. I don't know if you guys can handle the next line, but I'm going to try. Then shall you also appear with him in glory. He didn't stutter. We don't need a lot of depth. Uh, we, we need Hebrew. We need Greek translations. Guess what the glory means? It means the same thing. This scripture carries me, well, this passage, not this scripture, but these, these scriptures carry me, and, and, and I'll, I'll show you as, as verse 5 builds into this. When Christ, who is our life, that's the way it reads, but if you just take who is, it means when Christ, our life, shall appear, then you shall also appear with him in glory. Now he's saying, well, Pastor, that, that really is referring to the rapture, and that's referring to when we actually see him, then we're going to see the glory. Okay. If that's the case then verse 5 shouldn't be there. I'm just saying, if that's the contextual, historical context of that scripture, then verse 5 doesn't make sense. Because I've heard it preached like this. When we see Jesus, we will see the glory. When we get to heaven, we'll be full of glory. But here's the thing, in heaven, you don't really need the glory. The glory was about God bringing his goodness to a broken system. That was the glory was always have been about that. It's never been about anything else. Heaven is filled with the glory, but it's all the atmosphere of heaven is glory. That's why there's no darkness in heaven. Amen. Here it comes. If verse 4 refers to the rapture of the church or to a future glory like it talks about in, in um, Romans 8, then this scripture would not make sense. Why would he say mortify your members? You don't need to be mortifying your members after the rapture of the church. You don't need to be, mortify your members. It means kill your flesh. <laughs> what part of your flesh? And when I talk about flesh, sometimes we just think about the outside. No, your flesh includes your thinking. Amen. Your flesh includes your attitudes. Your flesh includes your words you speak. Your flesh includes your thought process. Everything about this realm is what Paul talked about carne, carnal, the carnal, carne thinking. It's not necessarily bad. It just means this is this realm, carnal, flesh realm. We feel it. We smell it. We hear it. We speak it. We taste it. In other words, sense, a realm that is connected through your senses. That's all it is. Okay, with that in mind, go back to this. I know I'm taking a lot of time, but here it says, Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, and then he goes through a series of sins. So that's why I'm saying he's, he is not talking 
about a future glory of going to heaven. He's talking about a present glory. And he, that's why he brings up verse 5. He says, kill your member. Let me read Amplified. So kill, deaden, deprive of power, the evil desire lurking in your members, those animal impulses, and all that is earthly in you that is employed in sin. Remember what I talked about missing the mark? And then he goes through a list. Sexual, vice, impurity, sensual appetites, unholy desires, all the greed and covetousness, for that is idolatry, the defying of self and other created things instead of God. Okay, let's see what verse 6 says. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in which you also walked some time when you lived in them. Here comes the big one, verse 8. But now. But now. What does the word little but mean? I've said this so many times in this church. It means whatever I said before doesn't matter. So if somebody says, I love you, I love you, I really love you, but. Just delete all that and listen to what comes after the but, because the but's about to talk. So here it says, but now. Because right there it leaves you like, man, pastor, that's pretty, you know, we got to kill our flesh. And we got, yeah, okay. But now. You also put off all these. In other words, you took them off. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. And you have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge and the image of him that created him. Wherefore, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And every time you see the word put on in this passage, and he says it again in verse 12, I'm going I'm to hit those just a minute, it's referring to permitting the glory. That's all it is. Because you can't get rid of any of these on your own. Amen? I mean, I guess, you know, there's, you know, there's scenarios where I guess you could. You know, I've studied enough psychology to know this. Without God, where you could take a person to take them through a process of correction, but it's so much easier with the Spirit of the Lord. How many can say amen? Getting a, a drug addict off of drugs, there's a natural process, and it takes some time, and if the person really wants to, they, they'll get through it. But getting people off of drugs with the glory, it's a whole different thing. Because I've seen it, I've experienced it. You, one day you're all messed up, ten seconds later, you're flushed out. That doesn't just happen. That's called the glory. You know, how many times in this church we've, we've seen miracles, healing miracles, where people... There's been miracles people we didn't know in our prayer services. You know, people come say there's this person, even in another country, that sent a prayer request and we would pray for them, you know, and, and a few weeks later find out they were doing fine. What is this? It's the glory. The glory has no boundaries. The glory has no borders. The glory has nothing. The glory comes from the believer. It's not your glory. It's his glory. And what he's referring to, he says, all these things that we struggle with in life, oh, you know, I can't stop lying, I can't stop having, you know, these bad ideas and these bad thoughts, and every time I get on the Internet, I go to a dark place and so forth and so on, and, you know, I'm, I'm self-medicating. We could go on and on and on and on and on. I'm, I'm talking about stuff that happens in the church. I'm not talking about the world. This is live and well in the church. And Jesus is giving us a path, not of condemnation, not of guilt, but saying, that baby that was born, guess what he had in him? The glory. He had everything good about God. He had the Shekinah in him. And if you go back to that scripture, let me read out of King James, back, back up to verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, 
then ye also appear with him in glory. That appearance, again, don't take it out of... He is not referring to some future event. He's referring to the appearance of the glory in all these things that he lists. Now, again, I don't want to bore you guys. I'm almost done. Just bear with me. But when you think about Christmas, when you think about, you know, all this stuff that we're going to get hung up in, we're going to go buy presents for people that don't even care for you and all that kind of nonsense. Amen. Yeah, come on. You know, we, we play the... I don't have to play the game because I work for myself. So if I don't like me, I don't give me nothing. All right? But so, those of you that work for a boss, y'all, you know, y'all have to take something because if not, you, you, you don't get the OT anymore, you know? But all these things that we navigate in life, the very... I'm trying to summarize my message, guys. Christmas to me, and this message is really about understanding the glory that he gave me. That he knew that this life, he knew everything about my life. He knew all the mess-ups I'm going to make. He knows all the... Is that, is, that a, is that an excuse to not correct? Of course not. That's not an excuse not to correct. But anytime God points something out, you know, it's the same way, you know. I know some of you might not be gun aficionados, but, you know, back to my rifle... You know, you set the scope, you set it, and you shoot it, and it hits up here. You're like, oh, well, I guess I just have to. When I see the deer, I'm going to aim way up here. And hopefully, because I guess that's my life. You know how many deer you're going to miss? Probably all of them. Or you're going to injure some, like, really bad. But if you just take time, and this is really what this service is about, before we get all wound up in our little holiday season activities, you just take some time this morning and say, Lord, where can the glory be revealed in my life? Where is an area of my character where I can't fix this? Maybe I have anger issues. Maybe I have dark issues. You know, and, and instead of beating yourself down and beating, because that's what, third, that's what John third meant. That's why I had to join him up. You know, Jesus came, peace on earth, my goodwill towards man. And then in John 3, he says that one of the things I did not bring was condemnation. One of the things I did not bring in Jesus was guilt. The world is already condemned. The world is already under sentencing. Not because of me, says the Lord, but because of the, of, of the world, of, of life. You choose to reject God, that's your choice. But if you choose to accept God this morning, you don't just accept a religion. You don't accept, okay, I'm going to church. You accept Jesus with his glory. You can't separate him. And boy, I wish I had more time to build on this thing, but you go in life knowing that you carry the glory. One of the things that I learned many, many years ago, and I incorporated into my prayer, it's going to help you. I forget who taught me this. Well, I mean, I was listening, and it just really, really made a difference. You know when you hear stuff in the Bible that, you know, I've been hearing sermons for a long time, but I can't remember a whole lot of sermons, but I can remember little phrases, right? Something somebody said, something somebody said. And I heard a pastor's wife. Now, I know who it is now. And she's a prayer warrior, and she talks a lot about prayer. And she said, in her prayer, she was praying. And she said, Lord, and boy, that just shook me. She, she wasn't even preaching it. She was praying, and I heard her pray. And I'm like, wow, that's what, that's what I've been missing my whole life. She said, Lord, let the glory of God rise up within me and produce healing into every cell of my body. And I'm thinking, that is so powerful. Because there's a difference. Say, Lord, heal my body. Yeah, I'm sure he, that's a good prayer. The Bible says so. But when you really bring it down to how the healing's going to take place, <laughs> the mechanics, if I may, it's through the glory. 
Because pure, the purity and the glory and the Shekinah of God, nothing can fit in there. Sickness can't fit in there. Darkness can't fit in there. Depression can't fit in there. Suicidal thoughts can't fit in there. Are you with me? Broken marriages, broken kids. None, none of those things fit in the glory. And as you, as you understand what you are carrying with you, you, because everything at the end, church, is by faith. Do you agree with that? I mean, this is a, this is a faith book. Amen? And you, and you say, well, that was a beautiful sermon, Pastor, but I'm not there yet. That's fine. Then you should be on a trek to study more about the glory. Because to me, when I pray for people, once after I did that, I don't just say, oh, Lord, please heal them. Please heal them. I say, Lord, let the glory of God rise up within me. Or I pray this, let the glory of God rise up within you. Because it's in you, Sister Elder, right? It's, it's in you, Susie. It's in you, Joe. It's in, you, it's in every one of us. And all I'm doing is I'm just getting in agreement with you. Imagine the power when that person that needs prayer connects with another person that knows how to pray, but the person that is praying also knows about the glory. Now you've got a double connection. See, Christmas wasn't about trees. I mean, I love Christmas. Trust me, Christmas to me is probably my most favorite, favorite, if not the absolute most favorite time of the year. My best memories come around Christmas. Also very kind of sad season because all my family has gone before me. You know, my mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, all the people that I used to celebrate Christmas, they're gone. I have my own family. I've got my grandkids, and I love my family to pieces, and we're creating our own memories. The Christmas to me always was about this, this manifestation of love in a world that is so messed up. Okay, and that's good. You know, there's a wonderful story. I, read, I actually read into the story afterwards because it's a, like, you know, cute stories to preach with. Now, I, I read it into it. It was really interesting. And I'm going to mess up the, the dates, but in World War I, right at the beginning of World War I, I mean, they were just barely starting, maybe about, there was this, a, a, a battle. You guys heard the story, I'm sure, but there's a lot more to the story. And, it, and they, they were fighting in Europe, and right around Christmas time, they made a truce. You guys remember the story? And they went out and played soccer, and they hugged each other, and they celebrated Christmas. And the way it started is right on Christmas Eve, one side, I don't know if it was, you know, back then, I don't know if they called them the Allies, but, you know, the Britain, all them, against the Germans. One side raised a flag and says, we won't shoot if you don't. Merry Christmas. Well, through that exchange, two of them went and talked, and they had their own little truce. And in that truce, this is Paul Harvey, right? The rest of the story? In that truce, they said, hey, after this, because that, that, you don't hear it in the... Because how many have heard of this? Oh, that's a beautiful Christmas story. And they had Christmas, and then they went and killed each other after that, okay? In that truce, they said, after we finish this, but they didn't tell their generals, we will not shoot to kill you if you don't shoot to kill us. In other words, we'll play the war game, but nobody has to die. And they were like, okay. And they made peace in this little area. Well, what happens? The generals found out. And they said, well, this can't work. And they created a semi-treaty. And then the generals built up the war machine again and did away with this nonsense, according to them. And the war broke out and millions and millions and millions and millions of people died after that. But they were saying, in that, in that story, they said, what, what, what happened that day on Christmas Day would have resolved the war. Because they built a truce that worked. These two little battalions built a truce that worked. Isn't that powerful? To me, you know what that was? That was a manifestation of the glory. You know, God will move where there is love. God will move all these things. But when you know 
that all his goodness is within you. When you know that everything, it's not your goodness, it's his goodness. When you need to pray for somebody, you're not the healer anymore. <laughs> when I was doing, when I first started ministry, and I'll close with this statement and a couple of things and we'll get out of here. But when I was doing jail ministry right at the beginning, and at first I was just there helping in, back in Webb County Jail and Juvenile and all that. And then I got, you know, I was doing it by myself. And I remember I was barely saved. You know, I was like a year in. And I remember these, you know, I had my little church, and I had about 30 inmates. And, and, it, and it's really easy to have church there because they don't, they, don't, they don't go nowhere, right? They're there. Now, they don't have to come and hear you, by the way, because they, they'll tell them. At, at least that's how it was. They'll tell everybody, hey, preach, you know. And most of these guys, inmates were amazing because these guys were so indoctrinated. Because just to get out of the cell, they would go to everybody that came. So they got the Jehovah's, the Evangelicals, the Catholics, the Methodists. They went to every service, and me. The charismatics, everybody. Church of God, Church of Christ, you name it. Anybody went to prison, they went. So I'm there. And one of the guys at the end of the service says, aren't you going to pray for us? And I got put on the spot. And I said, no. And they looked at me like, well, you, you're not cool like the other preachers. You know? They prayed for us. And I went home, and I, it really bothered me because when, when they said, aren't you going to pray for us? It meant people that were sick were going to come up. And I was supposed to pray for them. Well, in my little one year into Jesus' head with all my Baptist teaching all my whole life, I'm like, dude, this is not happening. If I pray for them, they're probably going to die, okay? Because I got like no faith. And I went home really bothered about that. And, I, as I, and, and I, actually not, not even home. I was walking down, going down the elevator. This is before I know about what is God's voice and all that that we talked about. <laughs> And I'm going down the elevator from Webb County, well, the jail, going down the elevator to the first floor, and the Lord spoke to me. That's probably one of the first times I, I could say I heard, not audibly, you hear, you know how you say it, you hear it in your head, and it transfers, you hear your spirit transfer in your head. And he said, who do you think you are? That's all I got. I'm like, wait, 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 Lord, I'm here, I'm here to serve you, Jesus. And, he said, and then he said this, you are not the healer. That set me free. That completely set me free. And I, and I realized because I had this, this thing that if I pray for people, who am I, you know, to lay hands on somebody? And the Lord said, who do you think you are? And I realized what he was saying. He said, I don't have a, and that set me free because at that point, this was back in 1990, must have been 1993 or early 94, probably early 94. At that moment, Freddie, I was completely delivered. I could, I'll pray for anybody. If they get healed or they don't get healed, that's none of my business. I have to believe that when I lay hands on somebody, the glory of God within me. Now, if they don't know Jesus, the glory of God within me will heal them. But if they know Jesus, the glory of God within me and the glory of God within them will cause the healing that they need. And, I, and I'm encouraging, church, you, you need to not be scared of this. You need to not be scared because the church is kind of scared of this. You know, when people say, you want something funny that happens to you sometimes? When people know you go to church and they don't go to church, they'll say things like, hey, will you pray for me? Anybody? You, know, you want to see a cool reaction when they say that? Say, okay, grab their hand and start praying right there. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. They get really nervous. I say, I'm going to pray for you now, bud, because I might forget. 
a little story in oil in brooding years ago that there was a lady and she, I don't know what happened. I just say knows about all these people. And she pulled me and she knew I was already in ministry and she pulled me in and I was Pastor Bob, you know, and she was telling me all her life problems and, and she was going, I guess, to the Methodist church. She didn't want to come to our crazy evangelical church, whatever. And she said, Will you pray for me? And I'm like, sure, give me your hand. And she was like, Well, no, no, not not here. Why not? <laughs> the glory is present everywhere, right? So I, I just, funny things like that. But here's the thing. When you, when you know you're the, the carrier of this thing, which is not your thing, so you have to be humble about it. Don't get arrogant. Don't get weird about it. You're humble, but you know that you're not walking in that world without hope. You know that, that the people around you, you know, you, you, not only do you have hope for yourself, you have hope for other people. Come on, church. You have hope for other people. Your life can be in a, in a turmoil, but that doesn't change the fact that you still have his light, his life, and his glory. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm about halfway through the message, but my time's up. So let me um, go back to this thing, if I can, just briefly. Go to John. Well, let me hang on. I've got about 53 outlines open. One more. Okay, here we are. Now, go to Psalm... Go to Psalm 27, 8. And I want to I try to wrap it up with this one. Because I did, I did take a little different direction that I wanted to. But I know the Lord spoke to someone. Did you get something out of it this morning? Glory to God. I, I want you to walk around with this, this thing that, you know, Christmas is not just about buying gifts and all that stuff. It's, it's wonderful. Enjoy it. Have fun. But you are a carrier of the glory. You are a carrier of this amazing thing. And it will protect you. It will watch us over you. I mean, His, his goodness. And going back to this, I want to kind of set it at this point, because this is really, I don't want to take a lot of direction. Psalm 27, verse 8, beautiful Psalm of David. And, well, it's kind of hard to just read that one. Let's pick up in verse 6, because it's really, it's, Psalm 27 is a prayer. It's a song, but it is, it is formatted almost as a prayer. It says, Now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies, round about me. Verse 6. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. Now pay very close attention to the next scripture. He says, when thou sayest, seek ye my face, my heart says unto thee, thy face, Lord, I will seek. The Bible, when it refers to the face of God, and, and, and again, that's why I use the references of Exodus. And by, by the way, I got my notes up here. I'll tell you which ones they are. Always is referring to the glory. You're not trying to find his face. You're trying to find the glory. When when When... When Moses says, Lord, I want to see your face, he says, I will pass what? Come on, y'all Bible people. My glory. He never says, I will pass my face before you. He says, I will pass my glory. So the psalmist had a desire for the glory. And, and here's, here's my only point I was making of this one is David, even though he was an old covenant and he was an Old Testament man, he knew that there was a place where he could see the glory. If Moses saw it, even though his eyes had were covered by God, David knew that he could see his glory. 
And here's, here's my only point with that thing. If these people that did not have the new birth experience, hunger to see his face, how much more should we be with this desire? That we got the, we have the privilege as children of God. You know, to me, it just it seems like we've minimized it so much, so much. We've minimized this idea of the glory so much that we're like, yeah, we just kind of, you know, play with it. In the, in the book of Isaiah, you don't have to you don't have to turn there. But I just want to read this. I have it right here in front of me. There's a vision in Isaiah where, where the angels of God are going around the beautiful, beautiful. And there's something really interesting what, that Isaiah saw here. Above him stood the seraphim, verse 2 of Isaiah 6. Each had six wings, pay attention to, with two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. To me, it's amazing that the angels have to cover their face. So imagine a, a, a creature with six wings. That's what Isaiah is saying. Two of the wings cover his feet. Two of the wings cover his eyes. Think about that. The angels can't see the glory full blast. That God gave you and me the privilege to rest in it. I'm just getting chills thinking about it. I want you to think about it this Christmas season. There is nothing out there that the glory cannot, cannot bring healing to. That's what I'm saying. If you're dealing, and I'm, I'm going to close it with this, if you're dealing with relationships in your life, i tell you, this is the season to fix things. One of the biggest things that, and I'm, it's a really long story, so I won't mention it, but I remember one of the biggest things, biggest, biggest changes in my life, I'm talking, you could go back and historically put the pin on that moment, completely changed every dynamic of my life. Financially, it changed the church, changed the ministry, I mean, we wouldn't be even in this building if it wasn't for one little moment. I'm going to share it with you real quick. I had an issue with a family member. I'm talking way back in 1994, 95. And I was offended, and I was rightfully offended. In other words, not rightfully offended, but in other words, I hadn't really done the big mess. The big mess had been done to me. I had reacted. I went to see my pastor about this because it was bothering me a lot. He was up in San Antonio, and I went to my pastor, and I said, Pastor, I'm dealing with this. And I wanted him to say, oh, you pobrecito, pobrecito, vamos a ayudar. That's what I expected. He looked at me. He said, you need to go fix that. I'm like, whatever. He said, you need to go say you're sorry. I'm like, when you said fix it, I had already almost lost you. With the sorry, you're gone. I'm looking for another pastor, sir. No, don't change pastors. Change your attitude, right? Still my pastor since 1994, so I haven't changed my pastor. He said, you need to go say you're sorry. And I'm like, But I went there asking for wisdom. I got wisdom. That's what happens in church. Some of you came asking for wisdom, and you got wisdom. You just don't like it. You don't like the fact that you're going to have to go apologize to somebody that hurt you. I'm not saying you have to do it. I'm just saying do what the Lord tells you. There is instances where you don't want to do that. You know, I, I always tell people, you know, you can forgive people. That doesn't mean you have to have lunch with them. You know, if somebody done you wrong, you can forgive them. That doesn't mean you got to hang out with them. Amen? 
Remember that. So everything, and I was a young Christian and barely in the ministry. And I recoiled to that. And at first I didn't want to do it. I'm like, I'm not doing that. He doesn't understand what happened. He doesn't know what they did to me. You know, all my reasoning. But what my pastor was telling me, and I didn't realize it then, but now I realize it a few years later. So he, was, he was really giving me, putting me in a position where I would let the glory of God filter through the hardness of my heart. Sit with me? Because you can be a really good Christian, but you can still have hardness in your heart. You can love Jesus with your whole heart, and you can have a, a root of bitterness that is so deep that you don't enjoy life at all. Amen. And I recoiled at that, and I didn't do it immediately, but the Lord just kept, you know, you know how he does. <laughs> just kept reminding me, reminding me, reminding me, reminding me. Now this, again, I don't want to give you all the details because it doesn't matter, but so I finally, on Christmas Day, or Christmas, no, it must have been Christmas Day, I finally folded and said, okay, Lord, I, <laughs> not my will, your will be done, Lord. And I went over there to this person's house and Walked in, and they're there. Said, hey. I didn't even get a hey. I got a grunt. <clears throat> That's all I got. And I said, I'm just here to, you know, say I'm sorry about all this. Well, about time. That's all I got. I didn't say, oh, you know, like sound of music and two people embracing in slow motion. Nothing. I'm like, That's it? About time. And I left. That was it. And I'm thinking, well, I, now I know that my pastor missed it, and I missed it for listening to my pastor. <laughs> That's two of us that are wrong. Now, again, super, extremely long story. But because of that act, that relationship was healed. And because that relationship was healed, things changed in my life so dramatically. Again, a lot of details. That part of that healing, the relationship, was the fact that we were able, later on in the future, we were able to build this addition. Think about that. If I would have played my little high horse, I'm a goody-goody little Christian, this is beneath me, why should I apologize? You miss the glory. You miss the glory. Now, I'm very careful with this because there are people that have been in, in hard relationships, abusive relationships. I'm not talking about stuff like that. that you know, and, and, and if it's something like that, you need to forgive people. You need to release those people. That doesn't mean you have to go back to those people. I'm talking about other type of things that, you know, he said, she said, maybe marriage things, maybe things that are going on currently in your marriage, currently with people that are close to you, currently with your children. I don't know where it is, but one thing I do know was, if you give God a chance for the glory, he, that, that, those little seeds of the glory, sometimes they don't show up next week. Sometimes they'll show up 10 years. That's what you have to have faith in, that the glory is the goodness of God. That's the best definition. The Shekinah. One of the ways they defined the Shekinah was heavy. Heavy. Like if you carried something heavy that you couldn't walk anymore, but not as a burden. It said heavy to the point. This is uh, one of the, I believe, I don't want to say strongs, but one of the definitions I read. Shekinah says heavy to the point of bursting. Imagine a black cloud that you know any moment this thing's going to open up. You know what I'm talking about? Like rains we get in South Texas. It doesn't rain for six months, and then we get like 11 inches. You know, that black cloud, that's the Shekinah, that it's just so heavy that it just, it just can't contain that it's heavy with goodness. Think about that. That's, that's the Old Testament definition. Shekinah, heavy with everything good that God has. 
Not heavy with condemnation, not heavy with pain, not heavy with judgment, heavy with goodness. And this Christmas season, I'm encouraging you, let that glory come through you. Let that glory show through your kids, especially in relationships that are broken. I don't know, the, the Lord keeps bringing you back to this. Maybe somebody online, maybe somebody in-house, but you need to fix this. Amen? Would you get something out of that? Let's give the Lord a big hand clap this morning. Go ahead and stand with me. And um, let's pray over this. Let's pray over it before we go into whatever we need to go to. But this is what I want you to do. You know, do a little in- inventory in your heart this morning. You know, is there things there where maybe you've retained the glory? Maybe the Lord already dealt with you in this area. I know in my life, he's, you know, this is one thing he dealt with me many, many years ago. And do people still hurt us? Yes. Do we hurt? Yes. But I know something. After I learned this, offense doesn't stick. It just doesn't stick. You know, people offend me. I'm, I'm upset for, you know, a little bit. And then it just go, goes away. I'm perfectly fine. And you know what it is? It's not me. I don't have an ability to do that. But I let the glory do. I don't let anything take a root. I, don't, I mean, a seed comes in, I identify it, and I say, nope, nope, I don't want that in my life. So pray this morning, and let, let's ask God to, to just um, help us with this. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for the glory. We thank you for the presence. And Lord, Father, in this building, in this house, we just seek one thing, Lord. We don't seek religion. We don't seek anything else. But Father, we seek your presence. That Father, that the love that you have shown every one of us, throughout our life, the patience that you've shown every one of us. Father, that we can walk in this at a greater degree, and especially this holiday season, especially a time of reconciliation, a time, Father, where people think about, where people are more sensitive to the love of God, where people are more sensitive to fixing things. I pray right now over our congregation, those online, those that are here, Father, that, Lord, every one of them will do a heart inventory. And, Father, if we've kept the glory from being released in anybody's life, we repent this morning. And we pray, Father, that the revelation and the insight of what the glory is will grow every day. And I pray, Father, right now in the name of Jesus, any broken relationships, Father, any children that are not speaking to their parents or anything, Father, in that context, I believe with all my heart, Father, that there is a move of the Spirit, and we will hear testimonies of this. That people will come back and testify and say, this is what the Lord has done in my heart. I give you praise and glory, Father. We bless you, Holy Spirit. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and everything that's within me. Bless his holy name. I thank you, Father. We give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Glory to God. You may be seated for a moment. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You know, you preach stuff like that, and then I'm thinking in my head, okay, yeah, I got to do that. I got to fix this. I got the wrong attitude over there. You know, you know when you have, um, and most of you have, most if not all of you navigate through this, you know, you have your spiritual life. So you, you guys come up here, okay, that's a pastor, but pastor has a real job. You know, it's my own job, but I, you know, I deal with, you know, in the contracting business and contracting world. And, you know, some people can irritate you a lot. <laughs> and I got to keep reminding myself. This is really good stuff because when you want to get like all in a knot about what somebody did or didn't do or they didn't pay you or, you know, I, I go through all this. You just got to go say, no, Lord. Mm-mm. Yes, I, this is my job and this is how I get my money. Bet I am a believer. First and foremost, I am a child of God. <laughs> you got to remind yourself of this because sometimes you just want to rip people's heads off, right? I mean, you, you know, you want to pray for their healing afterwards, but at the moment you're like, ah, 
No, you let that glory, you let that glory flow. It influences your finances, it influences your job, your relationships. You know, you take it, you go to a restaurant, you let that glory flow to that waiter or waitress. I mean, it's just, it's just beautiful to see, and it's not, because people have mystified it. They made it, it's so mystical, the glory. No, it's not. It's not mystical. It's just simply, do you let it? Because at the end of the day, and, I, and I'm still preaching, I should have finished, but I'm, it's your will. Your will that, will that God will not ever violate. He will try to influence your will. He'll, he'll make recommendations over your will, but he will never interfere with your will. And if you say, that's a beautiful sermon, Pastor. I'm just going to leave it right here where it's supposed to be in the church. God will respect you. But if you say, you know what? I'm going to practice this. See where it goes. I promise you, you're going to see some amazing things. Glory to God. Amen. Shut up, Mr. Box. Okay. All right, next Sunday, for those of you that are watching me online that didn't come to church, I know they're all at home, like, it's cold. Whatever. Dennis Burke, Dr. Dennis Burke is going to be with us. And if you don't know who Dr. Dennis Burke is, please Google him. Well-known, good friend of mine for many, many, many years. I mean, he's preached Hillsong. He's preached, you know, Joseph Prince's church and um, overseas. Um, and he always has a good word. And again, he's not just a preacher that's coming. He's a friend of mine for many, many years. So next Sunday, I want you to invite people. I want you to you know, make a point to be here. And let's enjoy, enjoy Dr. Dennis Burke. He's, he's here every year, and, to, and this year will be no exception. I'm trying to think of if we have any other announcements, because I didn't get the announcement list. So if we do, I don't know which ones they are. <laughs> right. Go ahead and stand with me this morning, and there'll be information for giving online. And there'll be an envelope next to you or nearby you. And we're, and we're still, so if you do give your offering by envelope, there'll be a bucket by the door you can just deposit there. But before you prepare your offering, just remain standing that way. I'll get you out of here. Is, you know, this is the season, you know, even this week people were talking about, you know, to really think about being generous. And I, I do want to mention one thing. Pastor Yoel is in Miami this week. He, he goes back on the 13th, and he's, um, we sent an audio mixer down. He's got all kinds of stuff, and... Let me tell you what's going on with him. So there is a way now, because the situation in Cuba is so complicated, there is a way now that the Cuban government is permitting shipping containers to be, and it takes them anywhere from three to six months to get it, but for them it's, it doesn't matter. You know, they wait whatever it takes. So him and another pastor are, are getting a bunch of stuff. He got a lot of audio equipment for the church, and of course when, his, when we upgrade his audio system, then it goes down to the other churches we work with in Placetas, and come away, and um, so anyhow, and they can also t- bring food now, which they weren't. The Cuban government was not letting people bring food, but because of the crisis, which is really bad. So my point is, they're raising money, and then they'll 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 um, pay for the freight. He didn't give me a, a number, but the only thing I'm saying to this church, if you know you're you you know Cuba's on your heart, it's part of what you want to do. We still have a few days. He goes back to Cuba on the 13th, so. You know, you can just, if you give online, just tag it on missions. Or if you give on the envelope, just write missions. And um, we'll make sure that money gets sent to him. And, and any money that we want to send, it's a lot easier right now because he can take it from Miami and take it back down. Because every time you send money, because as you know, you know, you can't send money to Cuba. You could, you used to could with Western Union, but that got shut down also. So he saves money because, you know, we don't send money to Cuba at all, first of all. You can't. So we send it to a, a Miami account and then through a series of wheeling and dealings, he gets the money in Cuba that the person that does the favor, of course, charges. That's how it works. 
So if we send him money now, he gets to take the money home and doesn't lose any. So if, if Cuba's on your heart and you want to do something before the 13th, it's very, very greatly appreciated. All right, so that's what's going on. Got your instructions. And thank you guys for your generosity. Thank you guys for giving. You know, um, I'm still reeling about last week. What a, what a meeting. Talked to Elson. He, he felt the same way. He, he felt that something very extraordinary happened here. I will recommend go back to the podcast, get the messages, hear them again, and, and you'll get more out of it. Like I said, that was very significant. I'll talk more about that later on. Let's pray and let's get you home. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the word. We thank you where it has taken us. And, Lord, we become sensitive to this, Father, that, 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 that this Christmas season, and not just this one, but that this is the beginning where we really understand what we carry, that that glory will be shown everywhere. We pray for Pastor Yoel as he's getting all these things ready for Cuba, Father. We pray for the finances to get the shipping container down there and all the other things that come together. And we thank you, Lord, that you've called us to be influencers, to, to help this nation, to help these people in Santa Clara, to help these people, Father, that, that live in Placetas and come away, Father. And I just give you glory and praise, Father, for the influence of this church into that nation. And, Father, till I see them again, I pray the peace of God that passeth all understanding go with them wherever they go. We bless this offering, and we believe, Father, it is sown into good works. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Well, shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck. And we'll see you all next Sunday with De Dennis Burke. No midweek service. No midweek service till January. We'll start our midweek service again. God bless you guys.